Amen. All right. Hey, speaking of uh, improvements and stuff, how many guys have ever uh, considered as a grown adult, right? And uh, you consider like going back to school, you know, maybe maybe getting some uh, a degree or something or something like that, a certificate, just just to try to improve the quality of your life. You ever been there? Kind of seems to be the way of the trend lately. But uh, but for those of you who may like go, I, I don't know where to start. I don't know what class. I, I, I don't know what direction. What should I take to improve the quality of my life? I'm here to help you out. Believe it or not, I actually came across some classes that you can take, apparently, that will seriously improve the quality of your life. And we're going to start off with classes for men. All right, ladies, this one's for you. But uh, maybe you can encourage your man to partake and have a life-changing class uh, with this man. The first class apparently goes something like this. It's called toilet paper rolls. Uh, They don't grow on holders, and it's followed by a roundtable discussion, in case you're still not getting the point. But another point uh, class is, hey, Health Watch, bringing her flowers is not harmful to your health. Okay, guys can take that class. And, oh, by the way, it comes with graphics, full-blown graphics, and an audio CD to take with you uh, when you complete the course. But here's another class. It's called Learning How to Find Things, uh, starting with looking in the right place instead of turning the house upside down while screaming your head off. And it's open for forum discussion uh, upon completion as well. But then there's this class, too. Is it genetically impossible to sit quietly as she parallel parks? All right. A driving simulation is offered. Now, believe it or not, it's just a mannequin because that is not possible. But anyway, I digress. But let's move on. Hey, the after-dinner dishes and silverware. Can they really levitate and fly into the kitchen sink? Uh, it's a great class, I hear. Examples on video in case you're not getting it. But ladies, you know that I try not to play favorites. So believe it or not, I found some classes to improve the quality of your life as well. And yes, I do need a ride home after this. Okay, so let's take a look at this first class. It's called Communication Skills 3, Getting What You Want Without Nagging. Hey, we actually have some brave men. This is great. Hey, uh, advanced motor shop, driving a car safely, a skill you can acquire, believe it or not, it's true. And telephone skills 101, how to hang up. You know what I'm saying? I mean, this is awesome. And, and but hey, who could forget cooking too? Bran and tofu are not meant for human consumption, right? And if you don't get that one, take the advanced class, uh, cooking three, how not to inflict your diets on other people, starting with your husband. Amen? Anybody else there? Right there, but hey, apparently this is a great class too. Hey, classical dancing, why men don't like to and they never will. You didn't marry Fred Astaire, give it up, deal with it. Can I get a ride home? Anybody? (laughs) But as you can see, man, there's tons of classes out there that that are guaranteed to improve the quality of our lives, right? They're everywhere. If you look around, get creative, okay? Uh, But believe it or not, I found one course, that's right, that is great for men and women, guaranteed to improve the quality of your life every single time, and that class is simply called this Bible Study 101. That's it. Bible study 101, okay? And unfortunately, though, many Christians are avoiding this course, and so their lives, guess what? They never seem to improve. Why? Because, folks, it works like this. This is the heart of our study. When people, even Christians, hello, refuse to study the Bible, it starts to produce a whole generation of churches who are walking around acting like practical atheists, right? We say we believe in God, but half the time, with our lips and our lives, we're given a different impression as if God's not even there, just like an atheist, okay? As we've been seeing, it's not just detrimental in our walk with God. What's it do? People are watching us. It turns them away from God, okay? And that's something we should clearly avoid. So to avoid this irony of you and I as Christians living like these practical atheists by not knowing who God is, we're going to continue our study once again from the Word of God, hello, on the character of God. Okay, how to defeat practical atheism, get back to who God really is. It's not your uh, conception, it is right here. He tells us who he is from his word, and that's what we're doing. Now, we've already seen the first thing about God. Hello, he's real. Okay, there's a real, real, real reason why we're really here, okay? I said that enough, okay? (laughs) 
It's because he's real. It's not a make-believe pipe dream. Okay, and the second one is the good news. Hey, he's not just afar off staring at us. We have a beautiful, loving, personal, intimate relationship with God. The real one and only God through Jesus Christ. Isn't that mind-blowing? The third thing we saw, he is wise. He knows everything. You don't want to ever be steered wrong? Don't ever get away from the word of God. Okay, he, don't, he doesn't lie to you. He knows everything. The fourth thing we saw, he is sovereign. He's in control. He turns all things. How many things? All things together for good because he's also good. And then the last two times we saw the fifth thing we need to know about God is that God is powerful, right? So once again, turn to somebody and say that. Hey, boom! Uh, at least one of you did that. That's right. Okay. And what we saw is God is so powerful, man. You might as well just say that when, when, you, when you read the scripture, boom, it just comes off the page. It's, it, it, he's so powerful. Listen, there's nothing he cannot do. There's nothing he cannot do. That's what we saw last time. Huh? He can do whatever he wants. And he demonstrates that by saving anybody he wants. He can supply any need he wants. He can solve any problem he wants. Remember that? Remember last time? God can save even, yes, mass murderers. You know what's even more wild? He saved you guys <laughs> and me, even more than that, right? He can save anybody. It's awesome. And then we saw, man, he's so powerful, he can make provision for any. He can make biscuits out of thin air. Wasn't that cool, that actual testimony? And then we saw he can bring two people back together again on opposite sides of the planet. Snap of his fingers, bang. How many times and how many ways has God's got to let us know? He's all powerful, man. What are you worried about? He can solve anything. And he can do whatever he wants within the scope of of his character, but it gets even more uh, uh, better as we go. The second way the Bible shows us that God is powerful is, man, there is nothing that can intimidate God. All right, do, do you think if somebody actually had a hand that large and that whole city was screaming at him, I'm going to get you, do you think he'd be scared? <laughs> Folks, do you realize how big the hand of God is? And it ain't just over a city, it's over the whole universe. There is nothing that can intimidate God, okay? And folks, therefore, nothing as his children should intimidate us. But again, believe it or not, this is a lesson that the ruling elite needed to learn. And the first guy that needed to learn that, one of the first guys, was a guy named Nebuchadnezzar. Open your Bibles to Daniel chapter 4. Daniel chapter 4. Okay, verses 34 through 37. Now, as you turn there, the context, of course, is after uh, Nebuchadnezzar, of course, he got too big for his britches. Right? God predicted about his kingdom. We'll get to that again in a little bit. God predicted that his kingdom would come, but then he took the credit for it. Ah, look what I have built. <laughs> he didn't give glory to God. God was not a part of his political equation, so God judged him. Okay? And then what you're going to see is he was, if you remember the, the account there, that he went insane for like seven years, right? Even grew fingernails like an animal and all that stuff that was going on there. And this is the account where he finally comes to his senses. But notice what it took before he could, quote, come to his senses. And then listen, what was the first thing coming out of his mouth? is the context there, about God, okay? And this is what we need to individually, and dare I say as a country, we need to come to our senses, okay? Daniel chapter 4, verse 34 through 37 says this, at the end of that time, after he was judged and he went through that period there, he went insane, at the end of that time, I, Nebuchadnezzar, raised my eyes towards what? I raised my eyes towards heaven, and my what? My sanity was restored. And then I praised the Most High. I honored and glorified Him who lives forever. His, who God's dominion is an eternal dominion. His kingdom endures from generation to generation. How many of the people? All peoples of the earth are regarded as nothing. He, God, does as He pleases with the powers of heaven and the peoples of the earth. No one can hold back His hand or say to Him, What have you done? It reminds me almost of Paul's statement when he says in Romans, who are you, old man, to talk back to God? Remember that passage there? 
It's just crazy, but, but it's pretty obvious here, folks, that listen, I don't know about you, but this is what Nebuchadnezzar, this was his revelation. He, he looked up to heaven and he finally got it. Guess what? Whoa. God isn't just real, but look at who he is. God is so big. He's so powerful. He's so eternal. He's so amazing. No one can intimidate God. God can do whatever he wants, whenever he wants to, whoever, whatever he wants. He can do what he pleases. Nobody can intimidate him. And this is what Nebuchadnezzar finally got through his head. That was the only thing that lifted the judgment that he was experiencing off of him. That God is so powerful, he doesn't have to answer to anybody. Hello, he's God. Nobody is going to bully God around. Nobody, listen, is going to make God afraid. He's not up there going, He is God. And I'm telling you, folks, this is another problem I see that we Christians are guilty of when it comes to acting like these practical atheists. We, too, like Nebuchadnezzar. And our culture has made it even worse. Right? We have forgotten who in the world God is. We've forgotten just how powerful he is. We've forgotten that he is the one in charge. Secondly, we forgot that because we're his children, listen, that if God's not afraid, neither do we. If God's not intimidated, neither do we. If God's not bullied around and freaking out, then neither should we. Because we belong to him, the king of kings and the Lord of lords. God's the one who calls his shots. And so in boldness, in love, in understanding who he is, that's what we need to do. And so that's why I want to give us a reminder, folks, how many different ways that God got to show us, not just the world, but to show his people, buck up, Christian, we belong to God, and if he ain't intimidated, we shouldn't be either. And we need to be moving forward doing what he's called us to do. Amen? Okay? And the first way that we know that nothing can intimidate God, folks, and we've talked about this before, is, but I think sometimes we take it for granted. Do you understand the power it takes to do something like this? And God demonstrates that power, folks. He has total control over everything, including the wild animals on the whole planet, all the time, every time. And once again, let's take a look at that classic passage we've seen before. And this is in the book of 2 Kings. Believe it or not, this really happened, okay? Right? 2 Kings chapter 2, verse 23 through 24. Elijah left the prophet, the prophet of God, speaking the word of God, right? The mighty man of God. He leaves Jericho. He goes up to Bethel. And as he's walking along the road, listen, a group of boys from the town began mocking and making fun of him. Uh-oh. In fact, it even records what they did. Hey, have we been mocked? Have we been made fun of? Have we been called names? Well, listen to what these guys did to the prophet of God. Go away, you bald head. They chanted, go away, you bald head. It's right down the scripture. And so Elijah turned around and looked at him, and what? He cursed them in the name of the Lord, and what happened? Then two bears came out of the woods and mauled 42 of them. Let's just close in prayer. Whoa, whoa, don't be mocking the man of God. Whoa. I mean, other than that, I think the obvious text is don't, don't joke around with the bald guy. I mean, that's pretty obvious. I, I've shared this before, but I'm not, I didn't say this. One guy said this. He, he's a bald guy. He said, man, he is so afraid of the bald jokes and people making fun of him. He says, I refuse. I refuse to wear turtleneck sweaters. He says, because I don't want to go around looking like one of those old roll-on deodorants. Right? <laughs> so I didn't say that he did. Okay. But the bigger lesson is obviously this, folks. God is in control over how many? All the wild animals, man. I mean, every single one of them, right? He's just out there. All, all God's got to do is go, snap! And it's doing its own thing, eating salmon or honey or whatever it's eating, bugs, grubs. And it's like, how dare you say that about the man of God? This really happened. God snapped his finger, and a bear just, 
And folks, how many times do we have to read the scripture? God is so powerful, the animals, all he, it's not just bears, it's not just one time. Over and over again in the scripture, God just says, bang, you do what I say, bang, you do what I say, bang, I'm going to use animals, bugs, insects, I don't, you are playthings in my hands. Let's take a look at just a couple of those examples, folks, that we read in the scripture. God caused frogs to invade Egypt, right? Exodus chapter 8, and it was more than three. It was a whole plague of them, man. And I had the frogs doing their own thing, eating flies or whatever, and all of a sudden, in mass. Or excuse me, it went like, right? God caused gnats, even insects, right? Uh, to invade Egypt, Exodus chapter 8. He caused flies to invade Egypt, Exodus chapter 8. He caused livestock of Egypt only to die, Exodus chapter 9. He caused locusts to invade Egypt, Exodus chapter 10. He caused quail to come for food, Numbers chapter 11. He caused poisonous snakes to bite people when they, why do you complain? Numbers chapter uh, 21. He caused hornets to invade, take over the armies uh, for Joshua and Joshua 24. He caused the bears to maul the youth, 2 Kings 2. That was our opening passage. He caused a donkey to talk and rebuke Balaam in Numbers 22. And yes, that happened. Wouldn't it be cool if your pet could talk? Especially my wiener dog. Wouldn't it be awesome? Now, I don't recommend go get in trouble so God has to cause your animal to rebuke you. But uh, did you know that really happened? Did you realize that God is so powerful? He not only controls the animals, he can say, and that animal will talk, and it will talk coherently, and you will understand it. Do you understand the power of what's going on here? Dr. Doolittle, eat your heart out. God could do anything. He wants, and he demonstrates that over and over again in the animal. Now, see, I think our problem is we, we read those accounts, and we go, oh, that was, that was back then. We're much more scientific today and sophisticated. Yeah, whatever. It's called ye of little faith. Did you know that God still is on the throne? Did you know that God still controls the animals today? Now, uh, let me give you just one example. You tell me that this was not the hand of God, because God is sovereign, right? Remember we saw? He's omnipresent. He sees everything, and he orchestrates, and he does everything. Watch what God did to save this boy, listen, with a cat. A cat, watch this, this is wild. Give it up for the attack cat. Right? I'm sure it's just some random occurrence, whatever. No, God was just watching the whole thing. Wow, I can't wait to see that post on YouTube. <laughs> Come on, Christian. Don't you understand? Who do you think is pulling this off? Who do, you think made the, who do you think made the cat do that? A cat. That was a pretty manly dog. It was even manlier than my wiener dog. Okay, but what? And folks, I, that's still not the habit. God not only controlled the animals in the past. How many accounts do we see that? And he's still doing it today. Or not, God tells us he's also going to do it again in the future. 
And he's going to use those animals as an instrument of his judgment on a wicked and rebellious planet. This is what we see in the first half of the seven-year tribulation. Revelation 6, verse 8 says this, I looked, and there before me was a pale horse. Its rider was named Death, and Hades was following close behind him. And they were given power over a fourth of the earth to kill how? By sword, by famine, by plague, and by the wild beasts, literally wild animals of the earth. Okay? So here's what we see. God says, not just in the past, but he, in the future, he is going to use dangerous animals, wild animals, okay, to take out one-fourth of the planet. How many guys would say a fourth of the planet is kind of a big deal? It's a big number. If that were to happen today, again, as we've seen before, that would be about two billion, not million, two billion people wiped out in these four different ways. But he uses animals, wild animals, to get the job done, okay, as an act of his judgment. Now, some of us, again, we're, well, we're so sophisticated again today, I mean, Obviously, back in the past, you know, 2,000 years ago, before they had, you know, our abilities today, uh, um, they were concerned about wild animals, and, but not us today, because, you know, we keep them all corralled in zoos, and, well, are you understanding what the wicked governments today are wanting to do? Are you understanding what they're wanting to do if the environmentalists get their way? We've talked about this before in some of our other studies. Did you realize that the environmentalists want to turn the whole United States back into one big giant wild game preserve? And did you know it actually went through our government and it came this close to passing? In fact, let me show you. It's called the Biodiversity Treaty. This is what these people wanted to do to the United States of America, okay, and of the previous uh, administration. This is part of, was one of the things they were wanting to do. Listen, it's, here's the actual map. I'm not making this up. It's called the Simulated Reserve Corridor System to Protect Biodiversity, right? And here's what they did. They're taking the environmental movement, amongst other things, and not only using that as an excuse to say, hey, let's all come together and form a global religion, but they wanted to turn the United States into a giant animal preserve. Let me explain to you this map what's going on here. The first thing is, just, oh, look, all the red. No, that's not where we live. That's where the animals live. The blue sections over here, that's where they tell you and I, whoever's left alive, get to live. So basically, anybody in two-thirds of the United States, everybody gets shoved to the East Coast. Now, the red, which is basically the whole United States, is where the animals would get to live without touching man's involvement. And then the yellow spaces in between, those are called buffer zones, where no man can be a part. So basically, they, their plan, their plan was to basically shove all of us Americans over to the East Coast, okay, and make the rest of the United States a giant animal preserve. And it came that close, folks, to passing. And so you put that together. That's a real agenda, and it's still out there. Okay? It's really out there. You put that and according to, if they got their way, right, and if just, and they want to do it to other parts of the world. They want to dictate where people can and cannot live, and who gets to live, etc. But if they had their way, and then this manifested in the seven-year tribulation, and then a global famine hit after this global war, them animals get kind of hungry. And guess what? Wild beasts could be used to take out a fourth of the planet. This is all stuff that's going on behind the scenes. So based on this information, I think that the logical response is this. What we need to do right now is we need to freak out, run to the hill, scream. Ah! No, you're missing the point of the passages. Past, present, future, what is God showing us? He is the one that's in charge. He is the one that's all-powerful. He is the one who can take anything, including animals, and he will use them for his judgment. He will use them to save people. God is in charge. And if God's in charge, and he's not freaking out, and he's not afraid, what in the world are we afraid for? If he's not intimidated by these people with their new world order agenda, and their threats against this, and we're going to make you do this, if he's not afraid, 
Why are we? We're his children. Do you understand who we belong to? Do you understand that we are not the losers in this equation ever? God is in charge. He is all-powerful. And if he's not intimidated, neither will he. Oh, 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 that's, it gets even better. He, he demonstrates, listen, God is so powerful on the, just the animal kingdom. We're just getting started. He's so powerful, Christian. Listen, that, that he, again, is going to do something fantastic with the animals. Now, we just saw he's going to use the animals to eat people up as an act of his judgment to a wicked and rebellious planet? Did you know for those who receive him as their savior, he's going to reward them with something special with animals? Listen to this. The Bible is very clear. One day in the future, God's going to demonstrate that all animals are not going to chase man down and eat him, but he's going to bring peace with all animals so that the animals will bless him. And this is what we see in Isaiah. This is wild, folks. It, it, speaking of this millennial kingdom, Isaiah eleven six 6 says this. The wolf will live with the lamb. The leopard will lie down with the goat. The calf and the lion and the yearling together, and a little child will lead them. Now, folks, if you put a wolf and a lamb in the same cage today, what's going to happen? It rhymes with lamb chops. That's right, Bobby. <laughs> lamb chops 100% of the time. But what we see here in the scripture, in the millennium, the Bible says that, listen, all wild animals will be tamed. There will be peace with animals everywhere. Listen, even a leopard will be as tame as a goat. One day, God says, I am so powerful. Watch what I can do. Listen, kids will be safe playing around with lions and snakes and wolves. And is, is that awesome? And believe it or not, I think many times God gives us tastes of that power. Of what he will do when he just snaps his fingers and says, peace with the animal kingdom. He, he, he does it still today, I believe. Watch, watch these relationships. Let's take a look at this. It's not exactly the partner you'd expect a primate to fall for, but an unusual love story has been forced between Surya, the six-year-old orangutan, and a stray hound dog named Roscoe. For these logic-defying friends, it's all hugs and cuddles since the day they met three years ago when Surya spotted the dog from high atop an elephant while on a ride with his trainers at this South Carolina animal park. To me, they seem like long-lost friends. This other, more whimsical partnership between predator and prey has been seen on YouTube some five million times. A cat and a bird that shouldn't get along playing hide-and-seek, even wrestling. Two of nature's enemies frolicking like fast friends. From the hippo and the tortoise who sidle up next to each other, so many of these relationships are hard to explain. How's this for a unique animal friendship? 350-pound lion bone digger is best friends with a fearless seven-year-old dash hound dog named Milo. They may seem like unlikely friends, but Jericho the horse is perfectly happy to let this baboon lays on his back while they both soak up the sun. It may look like this dog's days are over, as a jaguar appears to go in for the kill. But things aren't always what they seem. In fact, this unusual pair are actually best friends. These two struck it off straight away. And now this feline-canine combo are inseparable. They don't leave each other, they feed together, sleep together, do everything together. 24 hours a day, they haven't been separated at all. They are like brothers. Sean Ellis from Devon in England has integrated himself into a pack of wild wolves. The pack itself began when the wolves in particular um, were only a few days of age. I still consider myself to be part of that family. Okay, got the file, okay. oh. Like millions of people around the world, Mark Dumas loves nothing more than to take a morning swim. But for him, there is a rather massive difference as Mark swims with a polar bear. 
Having pet cats may sound run-of-the-mill, but Janice Haley has taken her love of felines to the extreme, keeping two huge tigers in her back garden. Sabre, a 600-pound male white Bengal, and Janda, a 400-pound Bengal female, have lived with Janice since they were cubs. With their ability to crunch through human bone in a single bite, getting up close and personal with a 1,300-pound grizzly bear is not for the faint-hearted. But for 71-year-old Doug Zeus, coming face-to-face -face with the fearsome predators is all in a day's work. Start off. Good. That's good. Ah! Good. This pairing, researchers say, is one of the strangest animal bonds ever seen. A lioness who, instead of eating her dinner, adopts it. I think many people felt that this was, you know, had to be a message from God. Um, this was a miracle. This was, you know, the lion and the lamb laying down together. Wow, we've ever heard that before. Very interesting. Folks, this is what we're going to get. When Jesus comes back at the end of the seven-year tribulation, he's going to renovate the whole planet. And we're going to have peace with all animals. Every single... I mean, this is really coming. This is what our God has promised to us. This is how powerful he is. Nobody has a brighter, more awesome future than we, his kids. It's, it's, it's amazing. I mean, one day, listen, we really can have... How many of you guys wanted a pet tiger, man? Wouldn't that be... <laughs> Right? I mean, a pet tiger, you can have, you can have a pet lion, you can have a, a pet leopard, an elephant, whatever you, you can have an orangutan hang out with your dog. It'd be cool. A, a cheetah being best buds with your Jack Russell or Don Russell or whoever you want to, okay? But, but the whole earth is going to be like this. This is where we're headed. Listen, God is so powerful. Bang! Not just an isolated incident with a cat, not just a horde of locusts, the whole planet. For a thousand years. Wow. And then here comes those people. Oh yeah. Well, we don't like you, God. We don't like your people. We don't want we don't want you. <laughs> Can you imagine God watching this? Excuse me. He's seen all this going on in our planet. Folks, the point is this. I don't know about you, but I'd say anybody who can clearly demonstrate that they can control all the wild animals on the whole planet, not just in the past, not just today, but in the future, one for judgment, another for blessing. I would say he's not just powerful, but there is nobody can intimidate that guy, right? That's our God. And so here's the point from his word. We're his children. How could we ever allow ourselves to get intimidated by anybody? Christian is a time, and I use this in a spiritual sense, is a time for us to buck up and get out of the closet. Is the time to make most of this opportunity and refuse to be intimidated. We belong to God. He's not freaking out. He's all-powerful. So guess what? Neither should we. Okay? The second way that we know that nothing can intimidate God is, listen, he not only controls the animals, okay, he controls the atmosphere. Okay, how many times have we got to see this one too? Okay, and this is just one instance we see in the book of Job. Okay, Job chapter 37, 5 and 6. God's voice is glorious in the what? The thunder. And we cannot comprehend the greatness of his power. He who? God directs the snow to fall on the earth and God tells the rain to pour down. 
Folks, it ain't Mother Nature who's in control of the weather. It's Almighty God. Okay, it is Father God. The scripture is very clear about that. He has control even of the atmosphere. Listen, God is so powerful with the clap of his hands. The whole atmosphere on the whole planet has to do exactly what he says when he wants it to happen. That's how powerful he is. He does it all the time. And again, how many times in the scripture has he demonstrated this ability? Let's take a look at all these different ways that he's recorded for us in the scripture in the past. Um, God caused the flood to cover the whole earth. Did you realize that? How many of you guys say it's a lot of water? Yeah, okay, that came from God. Genesis chapter 7. He caused fire to come down from heaven as judgment upon the cities. Genesis 19, Sodom and Gomorrah, right? He caused the plague of hail, thunder, and lightning in Egypt, Exodus chapter 9. He caused wind to divide the Red Sea, Exodus chapter 14. He caused the sun to stand still, Joshua chapter 10. He caused dew to form on Gideon's fleece, Judges chapter 6. He caused a whirlwind to carry Elijah into heaven, 2 Kings chapter 2. He caused rain in answer to Samuel's prayer, 1 Samuel chapter 12. He caused a storm to confuse the Philistines army first samuel chapter 7 and hello he caused darkness to fall the crucifixion of jesus matthew 27 who's in charge of the sky who's in charge of the atmosphere it's god he demonstrates that over and over again but once again we're so sophisticated today that's just those flannel graph pictures they show you to spice things up in sunday school classes but us adults we know better that everything that happens today is just some random occurrence and these are you kidding me oh we of little faith. God is still in control. Now, I've shared this before. But, folks, how many times and how many testimonies do we hear of Christians? Maybe it's more uh, apparent in the Midwest or something when you got some crazy weather going on. But, but here comes their tornado and, and God, please save us. And psh, here comes this crazy storm that's going to wipe out their only crop. And, and they pray and it go, it's just mysteriously. You think that's by chance? In fact, here's one that I've shared before. I came across some Filipino Christians, okay? And uh, here comes a tornado. And they trusted, listen, in the power of the name of Jesus Christ that just as he did before, he can still do it today. He can control the weather. Let's take, let's take a look at that. In Jesus' name, I can sell the spirit of death in Jesus' name. just a story caught on camera trusting in the power of the name of jesus god controls the weather in the past how many times have you shown us that hello he controls the weather folks even today but still in all guess what god's going to control the weather again in the future just like the animals he's going to do the same thing with the atmosphere and just like the wild animals during the seven-year tribulation he's going to use the weather the sky as an act of his judgment this is how powerful he is once again let's take a look at one of those passages in the first half of the seven-year tribulation watch what happens to the sky and what God does. Uh, Revelation 6, 12 through 14. I watched as he, the Lamb, Jesus, God, opened the sixth seal. And there was what? A great earthquake. And the sun turned black like sackcloth made of goat hair. The whole moon turned blood red. And the stars in the 
sky fell to the earth as late figs dropped from a fig tree when shaken by a strong wind. The sky receded like a scroll rolling up, and because that, listen, every mountain and island was removed from its place. Not one earthquake here, not one on the whole planet. Every mountain, every island was jolted. It was removed from its place. And I don't know if you realize this, but there's a side effect when you have earthquakes, when you have jolting on the planet. One, you got landslides, and number two, you got tsunamis. Can you imagine how big this tsunami is going to be, okay, when God shakes the whole planet, every island is removed? Well, number one, you don't want to be there. Take the one and only way out through Jesus Christ. But if you rebel, maybe it's going to look something like this. Here's, here, here's a big wave. Let's take a look at that. A massive landslide that took place earlier today on the volcanic island of La Palma. Eruptions this morning are believed to have split the island into two, collapsing half a trillion tons of rock into the ocean. Witnesses say this impact into the sea created a wave of over 500 meters high. This is Foxtrot Lima 99. I have a sighting. Confirm I have a sighting of the wave. Now deploying camera vision. It's heading west. Repeat, it's heading saved you better get saved right now you can laugh scoff all you want but once you receive god's mercy only through jesus christ you're headed to that time frame folks that's really when god takes control of the sky as an act of his judgment that's just the tip of the tip of the tip of the tip of what's coming to this wicked and rebellious planet but for the rest of us who sit here obviously the the logical response to us when we see what god's going to do to the sky we need to what oh, freak out run the hills oh! no you're missing the point of the passage God, listen, he not only is going to use the power he has to take care of the atmosphere and use it as his judgment in the seven-year tribulation. Read the scripture. I don't have time to go into this. In the millennial kingdom, just like the animals, peace. Total peace. The scripture says no more tornadoes, no more uh, uh, severe weather storms. All that's, all that's gone. And what God has shown us past, present, future, this is how powerful he is. He's in charge. He is the one who is in control, and he will bring, listen, he will bring his judgment. He will use the atmosphere to judge this wicked planet. Listen, but he will never use them on his kids. The scripture is clear that we are not appointed unto God's wrath, and he might use the weather to beat up the planet, but he doesn't beat up his kids. 
And so here's the point. I'd say anybody who can control and has easily demonstrated that he can control all the weather on the whole planet all at the same time, past, present, future, I'd say they're not just powerful, but can you imagine their response when people say, I don't like you. You better stop that. He's not intimidated. It, it, it's humorous, isn't it? What's the point then for we the church? We're his kids. How could we even entertain the thought of being intimidated by saying, I don't like you. I don't want to listen to you. You better stay behind your four walls and keep your mouth shut. I'm coming after you. It's not us. It's who we serve. You can take it out on me, but the scripture's clear. You're really mocking God. And you need to repent to get right through Jesus Christ. What are we worried about? If God's not intimidated, why are we? The final one we're going to deal with today is this, and we'll have to get some later. That's the third way that no thing, I mean, how do you get around this one? No way, nothing can intimidate God, folks. And I think this is just what happened. Uh, did you know that God controls the wicked governments? Did you know that? You know what I really think that God just did? Nanny, nanny, boo boo in Jesus' name. You know what I'm saying? That's what people are freaking out over. Okay, but how many times have we got to read this in his word, folks? Uh, Daniel chapter 4, before Nebuchadnezzar got it, he should have got it earlier, but he didn't, so he went into judgment, and then he finally got it. But before that, Daniel told him, hello, listen, who's in charge? The government. You can do all you want. You can have your anti-Christian agenda, anti-this, anti-God. Excuse me. Here's what Daniel says. Daniel 4, 17, the decision is announced by messengers. The holy ones declare the verdict so that the living may know that the most high is sovereign over what? God is sovereign over the kingdoms of men. Listen, and he, God, gives them to anyone he wishes, and he, God, sets them over the lowliest of men. One of the most unlikely candidates that everybody said could not win just won. What I just quote? Who's in charge? All right, it's like, oh, yeah? And, and you know me personally? I think it's like God says, okay, church, you've been so stinking lazy. You've been so distracted, so worldly. What's it going to take before you wake up? And it's like we had to be dangled over just the precipice, almost could smell the flames of destruction. And God says, watch this. And I said this on Wednesday night if you were there. If we don't wake up after this generous act from God, and if we go back to sleep, we're headed for a spanking we can't even believe. And that's why I felt led to preach this. Because they're already starting. They're trying to get us to be intimidated to keep your mouth shut. Instead of maximizing this opportunity that God has given us. Don't fall for it. But this is what we see here in the scripture. God is the one who is in ultimate control. He's the ultimate authority, not the governments around the world. He's so powerful. Bang! Kings, rulers, you name it. Even the United States of America has to do what God says he's going to do. And what he wants done. Daniel goes on to say that God already mapped out the major governments of mankind's history in the past. God called them before they rose up at that time. The Babylonian Empire, the Medo-Persian Empire, the Grecian Empire, the Roman Empire, and exactly what they uh, happened in exact order. In fact, secular researchers reject that because they said there's no way somebody can know that in advance. It can't be true. It is true. Because God is the one who's in charge, even of the governments. In fact, God said, I'm going to even tell you what the government's going to be like in the seven-year tribulation. I'm going to give you some specifics so you don't miss it. That I'm the one who's in charge of the government. I set them up. I take them down. It's in Revelation 17. He tells us the Antichrist kingdom is going to be made up of 10 kingdoms with specifically 10 rulers. And this is that passage there in Revelation 17, 12 through 13. The 10 horns, which you saw, are 10 kings 
who've not yet received a kingdom, in the future they will, but they receive authority as kings with the beast, the Antichrist, for one hour, for a season. And they have one purpose, and they give their power and authority over to the beast. God says, here's the government that's coming in the future. It's the government you don't want to be a part of. It's a government that's going to be allowed to come as an act of judgment on our wicked and rebellious planet who refuse to bow a knee to the one who's totally in charge, and that's Jesus Christ. You are headed for an Antichrist system. It's split up specifically into ten chunks, and each chunk is ruled by a ruler. That was written 2,000 years ago, and I don't know about you, but I'm so stinking glad there's no evidence of that taking place. <laughs> Folks, there's not only a ton of all numbers that these people have mapped out the planet, the New World Order agenda. Not 19, not 5, not 2, not 122. And it started back in the 70s with a group called the Club of Rome. We've seen this before, folks. How many times have we got to go through this? Here's their actual map. They've already mapped out the world into what? It's like somebody's following a script. Ten. Oh, oh, did you notice there's only ten, which is exactly what Revelation 17 says. Did you notice the United States of America? You know what their plan is? Their plan is to combine us with Canada and New Mexico. That's their map. It's called the North American Union. That's what the past two administrations, three administrations, four administrations, we've been a part of. Right? Hillary with her open border, what do you think she was going to promote? Right? Ted Cruz's wife, I'll call that out, Heidi Cruz, she was on the, the, the people who were putting that thing together. But somebody else said, let's do something different with our borders. Maybe God's saying, I'll give you one last respite. This is eventually going to come. Now, now, folks, it's further along than you think. Europe is, this is from the European Union. This is their, their website. You can go look at it yourself. Last time I checked, it was still there. Okay, and they got the, the planet in, into sections. You know how many sections? Here it is. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine. Hey, go figure, it's ten. European Union. Even closer than that, here's from the UN's website. Right? And they, they made an announcement that a new research program on global democracy, which is the buzzword for one world government, Okay, has been established. Let me zoom in. A global research program facilitated and coordinated through a convening group of 10 persons based in 10 world regions was established last year with the core funding from the Ford Foundation, from the UN. It's already been mapped out. They've already got it. Not 122, not five, not 33, 10 kingdoms ruled by 10 rulers. God says that's what would come to this planet as an act of judgment for those who would rebel against him. And it's already here. So obviously the logical response for you and I is to, <laughs> one last time, what is God trying to tell us? Who's in charge here? Who's in control past? Who's in control present? Who's in control of the future? Who's the one who's all powerful, even over the governments? It's God. And we belong to him, so what are we intimidated for? We should be intimidated by these guys' plans because they're the losers. In fact, read this scripture and go to sleep. Okay, it's Psalm chapter 2. Here's what God says about these New World Order leaders, okay, and how he feels about them and all their threats. We're going to take over the planet and all this blah, blah, blah. Listen to what he says, Psalm chapter 2, okay, verse 1 through 6. Why do the nations conspire and the people's plot in what? Vain. <laughs> the kings of the earth take their stand. And the rulers together gather together against the Lord and against his anointed one. Let us break their chains, they say, and throw off their fetters. And what? What's God doing? <laughs> he's splitting the gut. <laughs> you got to be kidding me. Are you serious? <laughs> he's laughing. Oh, but then his laughter turns. I'm going to scoff at you. 
The Lord scoffs at you. And you keep that up, guess what you're inheriting? You are storing up wrath. Then he rebukes them in his anger, and then he terrifies them in his wrath, saying, I, God, I have installed my king on Zion, my holy hill. Here's the point. If God's laughing at these guys' threats, what, what should our attitude be? Every time somebody comes up to us, don't you realize these guys behind the scenes, they're going to take over the planet, they're going to do this, what should we say? <laughs> Are you serious? Are you really freaking out? Why? Can, can I tell you something? His name is Jesus, right? He's coming back. He's going to take over this planet. His government's going to be awesome. No, I say, I didn't say that. God did. Okay, I, Isaiah, listen, listen. That's the phrase there. I have installed my king on Zion. He's speaking about when Jesus comes back at the end of the seven-year tribulation, after the governments are used of God as an act of judgment, but Jesus is coming back. He's going to bring peace to the atmosphere. He's going to bring peace to the animal kingdom. But listen, Jesus Christ is going to rule and reign. He's going to be in charge of the government. It's going to be awesome. This is what Isaiah says, right? We, we sing about this every Christmas, and it's like we miss the point. Why did Jesus? Was he born? He's coming back. Isaiah 9, 6, for us, to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the what? The government is going to be on whose shoulders? Jesus' shoulders, okay? And he'll be called what? Wonderful counselor. The Bible says, folks, one day the government is going to be on the shoulders of Jesus Christ in the millennial kingdom. Listen, Isaiah doesn't just say it's going to happen. He's trying to tell us how awesome news this is. This should put the permanent smile on your face forever. He says, listen, that government is going to be wonderful. In the Hebrew, it's the word Pele, and it means wonderful, astonishing, extraordinary. It's going to be a marvel. Isaiah says, Jesus, when he's in charge of the government, it's going to be, listen, listen, what's our attitude towards government today? I love government. I love politics. Woohoo, me and politics. I love politics. Let's sing that song all day long. It's, oh, it's got politics, government, it's a horrible taste in their mouth. And Isaiah says, no, listen, don't you understand? When Jesus Christ reigns, woohoo! it's going to be awesome. We are going to sing songs, how awesome the government is. It's wonderful. For a thousand years. Listen, why? Because unlike today, Jesus doesn't lie like politicians today. When Jesus speaks, when he makes a rule, he is the way, the truth, the life. Listen, we are headed for reality where you will never hear statements like this from the government. I am not a crook. <laughs> Liar! Read my lips, no new taxes. Liar! I did not have sexual relations with that woman. Liar! Right? Hey, the fundamentals of the economy are strong. Liar! Oh, here's one. You'll be able to keep your health insurance. Liar! Right? In fact, believe it or not, no more will you hear statements like this. From Bob Hope. Yeah, watch this one. You live here? Yes. Well, maybe you know what a zombie is. When a person dies and is buried, it seems there's certain voodoo priests who, who have the power to bring him back to life. Oh, horrible. It's worse than horrible because a zombie has no will of his own. You see them sometimes walking around blindly with dead eyes, following orders, not knowing what they do, not caring. You mean like Democrats? Oh, no, 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 no. Did he really say that? Hey, I'm sorry. It's time-sensitive material. And you got to get it in when you can. All right. 
but it's kind of like this one. One day, this little girl, her name was Susie, and she's standing on the side of the sidewalk in front of her house, and, and next to her, she's got this basket containing a number of little kittens there, and, and in her hand was a sign that said, hey, free kittens. Well, all of a sudden, a big line of black cars pulled up, and, and out of the lead car steps out this woman. She goes, hi, little girl. I'm Hillary Clinton. Uh, what do you have in the basket there? And the little girl says, kittens. And so Hillary says, well, how old are they? And Susie replies, she says, they're so young, their eyes aren't even open yet. Yeah. And so Hillary asks again, well, what kind of kittens are there? Listen. And the girl answered and smiled, they're Democrats. <laughs> well, Hillary, she was delighted at this. And she obviously saw a great PR moment, right? <laughs> so she called her PR folks on the phone, told them about the little girl and the kittens. And they agreed that Hillary should return the next day in front of the assembled media and, and, and have the girl talk about the discerning kittens there. And so sure enough, the next day, uh, Susie was again standing on the sidewalk outside her house and had the basket there with a free kitten sign. And another motorcade pulls up, and this time, though, it's followed by ABC News, NBC, CBS, CNN, and soon the cameras, the audio equipment, they're going up everywhere, and they're setting up, and Hillary, she gets out of her limo, and she walks over to Susie, and she says again, hello there, little girl, I'd love for you to tell me and all my friends watching across the country about the, what kind of kittens that you're giving away, and little Susie pipes up, and she goes, they're Republicans. Oh. <laughs> well, obviously, taken by surprise, Hillary, she stammers back, and she goes, what, what? Wait a second, but yesterday you, you told me they were Democrats. And little Susie smiled and said, yeah, I know, but today they have their eyes open. <laughs> Time-sensitive material, you got to get it in when you can. But, <laughs> but here's my point, listen, listen, right? In all seriousness, open all of our eyes to the truth. To the truth of what, it's not about Democrats, it's not about Republicans. It's about the great news. God is in control. God is all-powerful over the atmosphere, over the animals, over the governments. It doesn't matter, past, present, future. He's trying to tell us, listen, kids, don't forget who I am. Don't forget who you are in me. And if I'm not intimidated, why are you? And if we're given an open opportunity, maximize it. We cannot afford to allow intimidation or go back to being apathetic and squander away this opportunity. When Jesus reigns, there's no more WikiLeaks. There's just him being the wonderful counselor. We win forever and ever and ever. And all this all new world order stuff, the, when Jesus comes back, it's going to fold up just like that. He's going to establish his kingdom. So if God's laughing at, and if he's controlling all the wicked governments on the planet, past, present, future, and he's not intimidated, what are we worried about? What are we worried about? Okay? Turn to somebody and say, hey, don't worry. Be happy. <laughs> it's awesome, right? In fact, I'm not telling you folks, listen, as we close, once I'm convinced, once we, the church, get back to understand who our God is and how powerful he is and how in control he is, and he demonstrates it over and over again, in our days we can be responsible. When you understand the awesomeness of who he is, you don't have to be fearful anymore. You don't have to be intimidated. You can speak up just like everybody else in love and in boldness. It's okay. You don't have to shrink back. In fact, when you really get an understanding of who God is, it's awfully hard to keep your mouth shut. Like this Christian. Here's what he says about God. Good understanding. He said, God, he is the first and the last. He's the beginning and the end. He is the keeper of the creation, the creator of all. He's the architect of the universe and the manager of all times. He always was, always is, always will be, unmoved, unchanged, undefeated, and never undone. 
The world can't understand him. The armies can't defeat him. The schools can't explain him. And the leaders can't ignore him. Herod couldn't kill him. The Pharisees couldn't confuse him. The people couldn't hold him. Nero couldn't crush him. Hitler couldn't silence him. The New Age can't replace him. And Oprah can't explain him away. He is holy, righteous, mighty, powerful, and pure. His ways are right. His word is eternal. His will is unchanging. His mind is on me. He's my redeemer, my savior, my guide, my peace. He's my joy, my comfort, my Lord. And he rules this life. He will never leave me nor forsake me, must leave me, forget me. He'll never cancel my appointment in his appointment book. When I fall, he lifts me up. When I fail, he forgives. When I'm weak, he is strong. When I'm lost, he is the way. Afraid he's my courage. When I face persecution, he seals me. When I face death, he carries me home. He is everybody, everywhere, every time, every way. He is God. He is faithful. I am his. He is mine. My father in heaven has whooped father of this world. And so if you're wondering why I feel so secure, you better understand this. God is in control. He is all powerful. I am his. He is mine. All is well with my soul. Church, please, I beg of us, don't waste this opportunity. I don't know how long it's going to last, but let's not waste it. Let's not go back to sleep. The sleeping giant has awoken. Don't go back to sleep. And even if you are awake, understand who our God is. We do not need to be bullied and told to keep your mouth shut and keep in these four walls. We are to declare the gospel of Jesus Christ to the ends of this earth, even if it meant costing our life. Because we love people. We want them to have what we have purely by God's graciousness and mercy. That's why we're still here. Amen? Well, hi, this is Pastor Billy Crone of Sunrise Baptist Church and Get a Life Ministries, and I hope you enjoyed today's study. But in closing, before you go, let me ask you one final question. If you were to die today, are you sure that you go to heaven and not hell? You see, here's the problem. The Bible says that nobody automatically gets to go to heaven. And that's because God is holy and we are not. The Bible says that the wages of our sin or our unholiness or the wrong things that we have done have separated us from God. And the wages of our sin or unholiness uh, means that we deserve to die and receive God's judgment to go to hell and not heaven. In other words, we're disqualified for heaven. And that's because God being holy and us being not, the two cannot mix. So what are we going to do? Well, that's bad enough. The other problem is we don't even want to admit this dilemma, even though God already knows it all. And so out of love, God gave us something called the Ten Commandments to show us that we're really disqualified for heaven. We're not holy, we're not perfect like him. Uh, let's take a, a look at just a few of those uh, here today. Uh, the Bible says, the Ten Commandments says, you shall not bear false witness. That means lying. How many of you have ever told a lie before? Well, those of you who didn't raise your hand, you just did. Okay, let's be honest, folks. Let's not tell another lie. We've all lied. Well, believe it or not, that disqualifies you for heaven. That's how holy God is. He is the truth. He does not lie. And so that makes us a liar. Another of the Ten Commandments says you shall not steal. Okay? How many have ever taken anything without permission? Well, all of our hands should have went up at that one. Uh, we've already said we're a bunch of liars. Okay? Well, we've all done that. And it doesn't have to be a bank. Uh, it could be a pencil in the third grade. Uh, that means that we're a thief. Okay? 
The Bible says that God is so holy, even his name is holy. And that's why one of the Ten Commandments says, you shall not use the Lord's name in vain. Hey, folks, isn't it ironic how uh, now the blessed name of Jesus Christ, the Bible says there's no other name under heaven by which men might be saved, Jesus Christ, has now become a cuss word? Folks, the Bible says that's the sin of blasphemy. Okay, and folks, let's be honest. We've used God's name in vain uh, before. The Bible also says in the Ten Commandments, you shall not commit adultery. And Jesus takes the standard even higher. He says, listen, it's not just physical adultery. He says, surely I tell you that if you look at another person with lust in your eye, you've committed adultery in your heart. God looks at the heart. One more out of the Ten Commandments says, you shall not murder. And you might say, well, hey, I haven't done that one. Really? The Bible says that the sin of hatred is akin to the sin of murder. You, in other words, in your heart, wish they were dead. You pull the trigger, if you will, in your own heart. And the Bible says God sees that, and it's just as bad. He knows the mind. He knows the hearts, the thoughts, and the intents that we have. Folks, that's just five out of the Ten Commandments. How are you doing? Not very well. None of us can keep them. They're God's x-ray to show us that we're disqualified. And so when, not if, your time comes, because we're all marching towards the grave at different speeds, you're going to have to stand before God and you're going to have to uh, say who you really are. He already knows. Hey, God, let me into heaven. Uh, I'm, I'm a liar. I'm a thief. I'm a blasphemer, adulterer, and a murderer. Folks, the Bible is clear. Such people as these will not inherit the kingdom of heaven. That's the problem. Here's the good news. God so loved the world that he sent his one and only begotten son, Jesus Christ, that whoever believes in him, what he did on the cross, on our behalf, that we will not perish, we will not go to hell, but he will give us the gift of eternal life. Jesus died on the cross to forgive us of all of our sins. It's something that we don't earn, we, we, we can't earn. It's a gift, the Bible calls it, and a gift cannot be earned. He was taking the death penalty in our place. That's what the cross was of the day. And that if we would just ask Jesus Christ to forgive us of our sins, and believe that in our heart that God raised him from the grave, showing that his death is satisfactory to God to forgive us of all of our sins, no matter what we've done, the Bible says we shall be saved. Uh, the Apostle Paul says that if we confess with our mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in our heart that God raised him from the grave, we will be saved. Let me give you a common analogy of what God's doing and what he did for us with Jesus dying on the cross on our behalf. Uh, in life, we know that people uh, can be sentenced for a crime uh, to where they're actually on death row. Uh, the courtroom scene has completely finished. The gavel has already sounded. Uh, they are going to jail and they're just awaiting their time before they go to the death penalty. Uh, as they're sitting there in the jail cell, uh, it, it's a proven fact they did what they did. Everybody knows it. They're just waiting for that time for their uh, number to come up, so to speak, and walk down that hall and be executed. Uh, there's nothing they could do to reverse their crime. No amount of good works in that jail cell can reverse what they've done. It's too late. It's over. But believe it or not, there's one way that people even today can get off a of death row. And that's if the one in authority, the governor, if he were to, out of mercy and kindness, nothing that the person did because they don't earn it and they don't deserve it and they can't earn it. If he would grant them what's called a pardon, out of the kindness of his heart, he has the authority to grant them a pardon and absolve them completely of their crimes uh, against the state. 
And did you know that there's actually been people that this has happened to, that the governor, out of mercy, has granted them a pardon as a gift, and they've gone down to the jail cell and handed that person, extended it through the bars, here, I'm granting you a pardon. If you would just receive it, you can go free right now. And did you know that there's actually been people who've said, no, I don't want your pardon. And so what happened is of their own doing, even though they had a way out, they still had to go to the death penalty. Folks, can I tell you something? That's what God did for us with Jesus dying on the cross. He sent his son to take the death penalty in our place. He, God, has the authority to grant us through Jesus a complete pardon. And every day that you're still alive, God is extending to you spiritually this pardon. But a pardon does you no good unless you reach out and receive it by faith. Won't you do that today? Won't you call upon the name of Jesus Christ? Ask him to forgive you of all of your sins, to trust in his work on the cross, to pardon us from all of our crimes, our sins against God. God loves you. He wants a relationship with you. But there's only one way to heaven. It's Jesus. There's only one way to get off a death row. It's through the cross of Jesus Christ. Won't you do that right now? Well, this has been Pastor Billy Crone of Sunrise Baptist Church and, and Get a Life Ministries. And if there's anything that we can do for you, uh, please don't hesitate uh, to contact us. Uh, our number, our information will uh, come up here on the screen shortly. And uh, uh, if there's anything we could do for you, please don't hesitate to let us know. Uh, thank you for uh, joining us. And uh, remember, I hope to see you in heaven. God bless.